Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about Godzilla, King of the Monsters? We're going to discuss it all today. But first, welcome back, everyone, friends, family. Let's be honest. I consider my friends pretty much family, and that includes all of our lovely listeners all across the world and my esteemed co-host, Jacqueline Coley. How are we today? Um, I think the world is slowly opening back up, so I'm excited. And what clued me into that is the fact that you will be going to Austin before I will, which kind of made me a little bit upset to be your friend. This is why I love doing this show, because Jacqueline Coley is ready to sign up and plug my stand-up dates, so I don't even <laughs> have to. So I'll just say you can find her wherever you enjoy social media, at that Jacqueline. <laughs> so look at that. And I, Okay, so I am super excited for this, and I'm just warning everyone right now, we have a great guest, uh, Producey Lucy's here, Christian, our engineer's here, but you and I, Jacqueline, we're big sports fans, so there's going to be a couple sports references throughout, and I'm starting it right now, because this movie... Reminds me of I'm a big Washington football team fan. You're a diehard Packers fan. So every Monday morning you wake up and you think about who your team's playing that Sunday. You get excited. You get a little bit of juice. You get a little bit of jazz. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's those particular weeks like when my team is playing Dallas or when your team is playing Chicago, where you just feel that little extra something charging in you all week. And by the time Sunday hits, you're raring to go. Godzilla king of the monsters is that team for me and this podcast is the playing field because i am so pumped to talk about this movie oh man i'm gonna be the worst apathetic apathetic to dislike is the best thing i'm probably gonna be able to get to this sorry to sort of give away the game but mark is gonna be so hype and i'm just gonna be so wow seriously all I'm telling you is don't test me, y'all. I, I got I got backup. I got reinforcements. But we are talking about Godzilla, King of the Monsters. And there's a reason why we're talking about it because there's that little new movie where Godzilla's taken on some fella named King Kong. Now, as of the time of this recording, some folks in certain parts of the world may already have seen Godzilla versus Kong. I am not one of those people as of recording this show. So... Even though we may have a guest who's seen that movie already, no spoilers for that film whatsoever. We want to give everybody a chance to see it fresh. We are going to be talking heavily about Godzilla, King of the Monsters. And I want to give a big fan shout out to three of our favorites here. Mark Nadaf, Christian Rosario, 
and Freddie Pipio. It's just one of those days where you get those fans and you say, hey, you guys got to talk about this. It's the perfect time. And that's exactly what we did today. Because, Jacqueline, this is a travesty. In terms of cinema, in terms of film criticism, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, is 42% rotten on the tomato meter. I will say it has an 83% fresh audience score, meaning we have some division in our ranks and before I get your take, even though I think I know what it is, and before we introduce our guest, I would love for you, Jacqueline Coley, the queen of the world, to tell us what this movie's about. Okay, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. So this is a continuation of You the better new- sound excited when you're doing this synopsis, young lady. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Let me tell you, folks, this is a continuation of King of the the King of the Monsters universe that Warner Brothers set up with Kong Skull Island. This is the second installment, and we are back. Yes, Godzilla is back, and we are trying to see if he might be able to be on our side. You know, we have Ken Watanabe back, let them fight. This is basically setting up whether or not Godzilla is going to be able to have dominance over these new titans, which keep popping up just like the kaiju in Pacific Rim. Because if you think this movie is ripping off other movies, then you are definitely going to see a lot of elements here. (laughs) Then we have Millie Bobby Brown and Vera Farragina. They are a part of a family, which includes also Kyle Chandler. They have lost their son, Andrew. And now they are trying to find purpose and, and defeat these monsters. And in doing so, they figure out that humans are a virus on this earth and that the monsters are actually helping replenish it. You know, humans are a virus. Seen that one before. Hello, Kingsman Golden Circle. There, so Vera and the child from Stranger Things set forth these monsters, uh, courtesy of Charles Dance, who told them to do it. And once the monsters are set forth, they figure out they probably shouldn't have done that. They need Godzilla to come back and, and fight the day. The big bad in this one is King... Godra, I don't know how to say it. It's Gadira. a three-head. Godira. It's you go a three. Godira or Ghidorah. It, it Ghidorah. depends on tomato, tomato. Yeah, he's back. You know, all of the other ones are back. Rodan, uh, Rod. What? I don't know how to say these things. Names. Rodan. Rodan. <laughs> Mothra. I got that one right. Nailed it. Um, and they're back. The monsters fight like rock'em sock'em monsters. And uh, in the end, Godzilla helps them defeat uh, King, whatever the hell his name is, Hydra. And then, you know, we're sort of left with the idea that he is now the king of the monsters. We get a slight glimpse of Kong, but they are not fighting each other yet. It's just Godzilla is the big monster on Earth, and we're sort of happy that he defeated the monster that was not brought to the party, but just sort of showed up. But we're not sure if he's going to be on our side for long, setting up the next installment of a crazy movie with monsters fighting each other. Which is maybe one of the reasons why I might admit up top to be a slight apologist for this movie, simply because I am so excited about the next installment. And if this movie teaches us anything, it's that these monsters, when they are sleeping, they are asleep. And so I don't begrudge King Kong anything for snoozing his way through this movie and hitting the alarm a couple of times and saying, not today, let someone else take care of it because he was in training. And as we all know from our reading, you need sleep in order to to max bench press so we're now going to introduce 
Producey Lucy, who I am thrilled to have on the show always as a contributor, as well as all the great work she does behind the scenes. But Lucy, I hear word that you watched this movie for the very first time last night. And to quote Kyle Chandler and Bradley Whitford. Yeah, they got a lot of talent in this silly movie. Oh, my God, Zilla. It is so good. Yeah, there we go. As good as that quote, which is maybe the greatest movie quote of all time. (laughs) Case closed. Lucy is on (laughs) the wagon, ladies and gentlemen. She's on the Godzilla train. Next stop, Skull Island. That is great news because... I'm not sure how our special guest feels about it, but I will give him his proper intro because you have seen this dude all over your television set. He's always talking movies on the biggest shows known to mankind. And he also is an esteemed film critic and reviewer at Fandango, amongst other outlets. Mr. Eric Davis, it is so good to see you. Which pizza joint are you championing today, my friend? Uh, you know, I wish there was a pizza joint near me that was like named after Godzilla and had like giant slices uh, or something like that. But uh, but no, I just actually just literally had a square Sicilian slice of pizza before we sat down for this conversation. So you are accurate there. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to be here uh, and talk about this film. Oh, this is exciting. I had the uh, Detroit street style pizza from Pizza Hut not too long ago. I may have been a few beverages deep, but it was fantastic. We're not here to review pizza because fortunately we have a great film to talk about. And I'm going to start with our special guest. So, Eric, you heard our intro probably if we didn't put you to sleep. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, 42% rotten on the tomato meter. The audience score is 83%, but we're sticking with that rotten 42% when I ask you this question. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about Godzilla, King of the Monsters? You know, Mark, it's rare that I my my tastes align exactly with a score. I'm always like, eh, it could be a little bit higher. Eh, it could be a little bit lower. With this film specifically, I think Rotten Tomatoes got it like 150% exactly right. I think 42% rotten is just where this film needs to be. It's got some fun moments. It's not as good as the original. It is like the Die Hard 2 of the Godzilla franchise. It is like the the Iron Man 2 of the Godzilla franchise. I think 42, exactly right. Mm, You had me at Die Hard 2 because I do love that movie. And then you lost me with Iron Man 2. And then Jacqueline coming in with her Kingsman, the Golden Circle comparison. So Jacqueline, I'm pretty sure I know where you stand on this, but I will let you say it in front of the world. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about Godzilla, King of the Monsters? Rotten Tomatoes is dead wrong because this movie should be like a 17. This movie should be like a 10. I am so, I I cannot describe it. We watch a lot of like whatever movies and I'm not happy. I was angry last night that this was the selection because if I watched one more group of people argue in a room about big monsters, I was literally going to break my 70 inch television. I was so done. So done. It was painful. And I just want you to know that I went through all of that for you. Thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate it. And I know how much you love your new 70 inch TV. So that is a pretty heavy statement 
that you wanted to throw a free weight at it. I'm going to say that Rotten Tomatoes is also dead wrong like Jacqueline Coley, but I'm going the other way because this movie belongs in no other city than Fresh Town. Just one stop south of Flavortown. You take Eric Davis's 150% accurate. You take 50% of that. You add it onto this score. You get 92%, which is where Godzilla rightfully belongs with all the other monsters bowing down to him. Thank goodness I have Producey Lucy with me. And like I warned Jacqueline, Eric, I'm telling you right now, if y'all beat me up during our segment, I have reinforcements that I brought with me today. I want everyone to know that he enlisted these people with bribery and trickery. So when he gets his reinforcements, it's not genuine. It's just not. Eric, we're about to hear from Tim Ryan, our amazing review curation manager. I just have a quick random question for you. You have, uh, you got some little ones. Do they like this movie? Have they seen it? Are they old enough to check it out? Uh, They have not actually seen this one, Um, but they have seen Godzilla versus Kong. And they they both loved that one. Your so, kids have seen the movie before I have. That yeah, didn't have, seem... You're making your kids they the Hollywood have, elite, man. Letting them see these movies early. Whoo, Eric. They, they have, well, you know, we are in an interesting time right now uh, during the pandemic. A lot of films coming, you know, we're watching them at home when we would be watching them in theaters. And so uh, I, I am fortunate enough to have been watching some of these big movies coming out at home. And, uh, and the kids are always like, hey, dad, uh, what can we watch this week? You know, yeah. and, and and they kind of they they get to uh, enjoy some of those luxuries um, while I'm I'm still watching them at home at this point. Spoil them with movies, dude. Way better than spoiling them with money. Absolutely. I, I don't well, want to. That's the best parenting advice ever. I don't <laughs> know if for, I could show them this film. Good for your kids. <laughs> I'm happy for them. I maybe producer Lucy and I need to have a chat about the uh, the food chain when it comes to getting to see movies. But I've actually reserved a special situation to watch Godzilla versus Kong for the very first time. More on that a little bit later in the show. Lest we foreshadow anything anymore, it is now time for one of our favorite segments because Jacqueline and I get to kick back with our special guest and listen to what the critics were saying at the time of this movie's release for our segment. Two minutes with Tim. So movie critics aren't looking at something like Godzilla King of the Monsters and saying, oh, how does this compare to Citizen Kane or something like that? They're looking at it like, how does this compare to other kaiju movies? How does it compare to other Godzilla movies? How does it compare to other giant monster movies, etc.? So if critics had some issues with Godzilla King of the Monsters, it's not that it was because it wasn't already an affair. It's that they didn't think it was awesome enough. So Godzilla King of the Monsters is rotten at 42% on the tomato meter with 347 reviews, but it does have an 83% audience score. And the general feeling among critics was that it's visually striking and the fights when they come are pretty cool, but the plot doesn't make a ton of sense. And the film squanders its talented cast on pretty underwritten characters. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Emmanuel Noisette of the movie blog wrote, Godzilla King of the Monsters is a monster movie that feels like a restaurant that gets your order wrong. Thanks for more monsters, but I requested to hold the unnecessary human drama. 
On the other hand, in a fresh review, Shiraz Faruqi of Comic Book Debate wrote, While not as thematically rich as its predecessor, King of the Monsters dials up the kaiju action as it delivers stunning visual action sequences that will please most fans. So anyway, that's Godzilla King of the Monsters. Mark and Jacqueline, I hope your discussion of this film does not result in any major property damage. Back to you, folks. No promises on that last one, Tim, unfortunately. Lucy, did you put a little bit of extra mustard on that jingle? Oh, yes, I did. A little bit of ketchup, too. A little relish. I think it needed to be a little bit longer to actually fill out the full two minutes with Tim. <laughs> so I okay. added more. You know what's weird? This is like, this is this is approaching like the Perfect Strangers theme song level for me for cheese that I might enjoy. Folks that don't know the Perfect Strangers theme song is the greatest theme song ever because it has the same energy as our new two minutes with Tim. So I'm not going to lie to you. I'm I'm feeling the relish. Go ahead with the relish, Lucy. I, I enjoyed the relish. I think the Golden Girls theme song might have something to say in this argument, but for producing Lucy, she's the one that gets all the emails first that y'all send to us when you have notes or compliments or questions about the show. You can email us anytime. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. So she may be reading these emails, Jacqueline, and they're like, hey, enough with Mark and Jacqueline. We want more theme music. And so I have good news for everyone who has that complaint. We get more theme music right now because it's time to talk about our favorite or maybe least favorite scenes in this movie. Hit it. So we love to kick off our favorite scene segment of the program with a thesis, with some sort of opening statement. For all you kids in debate class, this is how you properly debate. And I am teeing up Eric Davis first. Eric you seem to not like this movie, and so I'm going to ask for what is your reasoning behind this incredibly, uh, I just have to say the word radical thesis against Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a big monster movie fan. Um, I, I get it. I love it. I like Godzilla. I like King Kong. I was all in for this film. I really like the original Godzilla film uh, from 2014 really like Kong Skull Island. So this is the third one, I'm on board. I'm like, let's go. You got all the different monsters, great. Uh, but then this movie, you know, first of all, I think the, the first bad thing about it is that it, there's like 50,000 people in the cast and they're all familiar faces, but they're like, se they're like separated into groups of like 10. Uh, and then like, we're with this group of 10 in this underground place. We're with that group of 10 in this underground place. Uh, everything is in the dark. When the monsters fight, um, it's like all of a sudden they're like, okay, it's gotta be dark out, it's gotta be raining. So watching the monster battles in this movie, I felt like I was standing outside in the middle of a pouring rainstorm at 11 o'clock at night, trying to like squint to see anything and, and something. And like, I give the movie credit and I, I agree with some of the reviews that some of those monster movies are those monster moments are pretty cool, but I feel like they're like gifts. They're like gifable moments, you know, like with Ghidorah kind of rising up through the clouds. And there's like this beautiful shot that like is three seconds long and then Ghidorah falls down and we can't see anything after that. So I think my biggest problem with this film is that there's too many characters the story is all over the place. Who, who wants these monsters alive? Who wants them dead? Who wants them alive, but then destroyed? Who wants them destroyed, but to stay alive? I have no idea. Millie Bobby Brown, I love you in Stranger Things. You do nothing. Yeah, she has nothing to do with this movie, but run around and scream. Uh, and the monster action, as much of there's a lot of it, 
and there's a lot of monsters, you can't see any of it. And so for those reasons, I think the critics got it exactly right. Enough fun moments to get you to 42. Anything after that needs to be a better movie. I don't disagree with everything you said because there's clearly too many humans in a movie that the reason why I'm sitting front row to any of these and getting an extra large corn and then I'm going to do a bathroom break halfway through to refill that extra large corn is because I want to see monsters fight. I want to see gigantic monsters clash for at least two hours and I don't really need any humans in it. The reason why I do adore this movie more than just a cool fight scene is because I feel like the humans, while there's some laughable dialogue for sure, I did feel enough of an emotional attachment with some of the humans, not all of them, with some of the humans in this to get me to the next fight scene. And that's all they're really here for. At least the human scenes in this furthered the plot and gave us a little bit of background as to what was going on in the psyche of the monsters, as opposed to, say, another franchise that loves big things fighting, Michael Bay's Transformers, where... Too often in that, the humans cluttered up with unnecessary subplots and bad jokes. There's no bad jokes in here. It's just dialogue where it's like, okay, we get it, we get it. Is Godzilla still asleep or can we go to the next fight scene? So I don't mind truncating some of those human scenes, but I did get a little bit of emotion out of it, and that's all I needed. The rest of it was taken care of by the fight scenes. The too dark comment is something that I'm looking forward to delving into with specific fight scenes. And Jacqueline, Eric is correct because it does rain more than a pivotal scene in a John Cusack movie in this film. Was that enough to distract you? Your thoughts? I mean, even in that, man, I can just make it so incredibly simple. How do you bore me when it's monsters fighting? Like, how can I be bored? And let me just put it on record, kids. I love these kind of movies. Skyscraper with The Rock, bring it to me. Pacific Rim 1 and 2, Signing up for the third. I love it. The first Godzilla, the 14, I am on record loving that movie. The Meg, The Meg, Jason Statham, punching a shark. I'm about this. This movie, like for the, and I thought back, I was like, it made me angry while watching it. Not angry at the filmmakers, not angry at them for making it, not needing to go online and like spew anything about it. But like, I was angry at myself for having to watch it. And the last time a movie made me do this, hate to say it was actually Rise of Skywalker because I was in a dress and I was in heels and this was supposed to be the culmination of 30 years of loving something and it felt like such a disappointment. So that was like, I was thinking about, I was like, I'm at home in the comfort of my own home, cuddled up with my dog and this movie is bringing back the anxiety of two, la two layers of spanks to watch thatness. You know what I mean? Like I'm in pajamas and it's bringing me back to anger. Um, and it's the same thing that Eric said. There's too many characters. I, disappointed because these are all people I love. I love Bradley Whitford. I love Avira Farmagara. I'm saying her name again, wrong. Um, and I love Millie Brawley Brown, but yeah, why was she in this? Like, I know y'all want to get that Stranger Things love, like, but come on. I have come a good, I have a, I have a good comeback for why Millie Bobby Brown was the perfect choice in casting for this. And I'm sorry you didn't have a better time at Rise of Skywalker because I was sitting right next to you and I seem to have a good... A, a good evening next I mean, to you. I mean, the company was not a problem. Oh, if you you saw me that night, I was literally going like this. Uh, like I literally in the middle of the movie leaned back and screamed up like Godzilla does at the end of this one. So I gave Jacqueline one of those and she obliged and I appreciate it. So 
that's the overall gist and you listeners out there and all of our viewers can see what i'm going up against where i feel like godzilla and i'm just being outnumbered by hydras and uh, random flying moths all over the place and so we're going to get into the specific scenes that illuminate why we feel the way we do about this movie and ed i want to go right back to you with that fight scene issue you had because again we're paying money to see monsters fight nobody on this panel is disagreeing with that but you didn't like the way that it was lit you just felt like it was too dark a la the complaint a lot of people had with that game of thrones battle scene in the last season where you just couldn't make out what was happening yeah that was the biggest problem is that it they're they're all in the rain they're all in the dark and so you're seeing these monsters like collide and then they'll cut to a shot of a human like running away from them. And then they cut back to the monsters and like maybe one of them is taking a slow swing and then they cut back to the human. And I'm like, look, uh, you have all of these monsters, these classic monsters and give us more monster moments. Like I, I get, you know, Godzilla ripping like Ghidorah's head off and eating it at the end, I'm all for. And I just wanted like six more of those moments in this film like give us some like gnarly midnight movie monster stuff monsters mortal Kombat. that's what this movie should be yeah some more like goo like give us like some ooze like some real nasty ooze like somebody's like arm getting like ripped off and then i want to see one monster eat it and another monster like drink ooze out of an arm like give us some like crazy monster madness you know, that's that's what that's what we want to see. And it's just every every single action sequence is either underground in some monarch cave. There's like 70 of them in this movie or, you know, or they're outside in the dark in the rain. And, you know, even there's a bolt of lightning every once in a while and you get like a money shot that looks like it's like the the middle of a graphic novel. And I, I love some of those shots, but they're just like still images. They're just like gifts. You know, and, and that's it. There's nothing else there. And so, yeah, sorry. I feel like the a, a lot of the, the darkness seems to make sense, not just for the overall tone of the movie that all of these creatures have been hibernating and really didn't feel like waking up from their nap, but humanity demanded it. And so it's like when any one of us get awoken by the dog or a kid at 3 a.m. We put on our slippers, we go out, we're like, okay, what the hell is it now? We're not necessarily in prime shape to fight, and Godzilla really doesn't bring his A game until the second half of this movie, because Godzilla shows up and it's exciting and promptly gets the crap beat out of him a couple times. And sometimes the 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 shiniest point of light in these fight scenes is when Godzilla starts to do his hulking up nuclear tail thing, which is just one of the most kick-ass things I've seen in a theater in the last millennia. But Jacqueline, if we're pivoting from fight scenes and you say the fight scenes aren't the biggest issue you have with this movie, I think I can go out on a limb and say, yeah, the humans need to figure their stuff out quicker so that we can get back to maybe better lighting with the monster fights. Yeah, I mean, not even the better lighting. Like, it just, like, the the first scene where you figure out why the woman, uh, why the mom is freed the creatures, like, that very early on scene where they're both on, like, telelinks, like, she's in one of the hideouts and they're in one of the hideouts. Two hideouts for one scene. That that's a That's a feat right there. And the thing that just struck me about how stupid and pointless all of these are is when Millie Bobby Brown like comes in there and like there's her dad and she like pops in, 
hi dad i'm sorry and then pops out and that's it that's all she has and then the woman does her exposition and she tells the story of the stupid monsters i'm like why 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 and it's so boring i miss the jokes i give me some cheesy jokes <laughs> give me what was the what was the two science dudes in pacific rim for like the comic duo like give me them Give me them. I, I will be all about it. What's his name from Always Sunny in Philadelphia and the British guy? I would love some of that comedic moment. Ugh, I, was just, I would was have exhausting. taken Charlie Day in this over Thomas Middleditch. That might just be personal preference. And and folks, sometimes when we're doing these shows, we really like to talk about the characters and reference them by their character name. But even I will concede that I remember Sarazawa is the name of Ken Watanabe's character. And that's really the only name that stuck with me from these people. Vera Farmiga is clearly, if not the worst, top 10. She should have a coffee mug that says worst mom of the Ever. year or whatever. I mean... She thinks she's being a good mom to planet Earth because she's basically on board with Charles Dance's evil character and playing ball with Monarch because she thinks that the world needs to reset itself with monsters eliminating most of humanity because she lost her son Andrew in the previous San Francisco Godzilla iteration. She's still so pissed about that. She can't even see beyond that to realize that, well, she still has somewhat of a husband, even though he's drinking himself to death on the couch. And she has Millie Bobby Brown as a great daughter. And she's like, nah, I think when push comes to shove, I'm going to sacrifice these morons to better mother earth. And so I, those sort of motive character motivations are on very shaky ground for me wait but a minute so you're gonna murder other people's kids because your kids got murdered that is some top-notch logic right there it's pretty ridiculous humans have been the dominant species for thousands of years and look what's happened overpopulation pollution war the mass extinction we feared has already begun and we are the cause I think we've all been on the 405 in traffic and been like, okay, look, if there's a Thanos snap, it's, <laughs> it's going to be tragic, but it, it's going to make my commute a lot easier. So uh. it, it's, we've all had that inclination as dark as it and morbid as it may be. We've all thought like Charles dance and Vera Farmiga at some point in our lives. But again, they need to have that motivation so that we can get to the next fight because we're awakening all these giant beasts. And that is why, like I said before, I'm paying the big bucks opening night to see these kind of movies. And in particular, it's when Godzilla shows up towards the end of the movie and we have resuscitated him, resuscitated him successfully using the most nuclear defibrillator of all time. And he comes back just in the nick of time because Godzilla's that type of player, like an Aaron Rodgers, like a Damian Lillard. They can just kind of coast for three quarters. They're going to show up at the end. And that's exactly what Godzilla does. When you see him go full nuke and you see all of that blue, cool light magic lighting up at the end and he takes down King Ghidorah and make such a statement with his victory that all of the other, you got a spider over there, you got Rodan, they are all bowing down to the new king of the monsters. I thought it was such a brilliant looking payoff. Maybe a giveable moment, Eric. I'm going to give you that, but my favorite scene in Star Wars are all giveable moments too. This was that level of awesomeness when we get to see who the new king is, because I'm also walking out of that theater whistling the tune of, ooh, wait until Godzilla wakes up and gets the morning, or excuse me, ooh, wait until King Kong wakes up and gets the morning paper on his driveway and sees what happened. 
he is going to have something to say about it. So part of this is me using this movie as a launching point to get excited about the next one. It's a cool moment. I'll give you it's a cool moment. Thank you. I enjoyed that. that. And uh, if you're saying this movie was a pointless setup, I'll give you that too. It's just setting up another movie. It's setting up a better movie, hopefully, because if it can't be worse than this. But Eric, uh, don't you think it would have rushed it to to just have thrown uh, King Kong into this mix? Don't you think that we at least maybe you wanted a better movie, but I think it would have been rushing and it would have been Batman v Supermaning to get Kong into this movie. Yeah, I mean, clearly, if you watch all of these films, uh, I mean, there's there's really like one or two common threads. I mean, it's pretty clear from movie to movie. They were like, OK, what was wrong with the last one? Let's change it. Uh, but but we mentioned all these things in the movie. Uh, just forget about it. and We'll just do this instead. And, you know, I I do agree with you with that finale. Uh, you know, we're both East Coast sports fans. And so even though we root for different teams, I'm a New York Giants fan, you're a Washington Redskins fan, I think we could both agree that we did have a smile on our face to see the Boston Red Sox losing their stadium uh, at the end (laughs) of this film. Uh, So, you know, as a New York sports fan, uh, I did have a smile on my face at that point. But uh, it's just, it's not enough, you know? It's especially for a finale, uh, you know, you got Millie Bobby Brown running around with this briefcase. And I mean, we should talk about this sono briefcase whatever the hell this this gadget was um it reminded me of like the briefcase in pulp fiction you know they would just whenever 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 they needed like a like a plot beat somebody would just like run and grab it and put it on the floor and just push some buttons i have no idea how millie bobby brown knew how to go up to the it's this cool looking like screensaver thing where it, it it's introduced early in the movie by vera farmiga she has this little laptop that you open up and it somehow emits this sonar sound or signal that is going to be picked up by whatever creature is in the area and if you can lock on to the alpha of that species then whatever creature is menacing you is going to just bow down like the animal kingdom tells us it will i will tell you right now i'd love to have one of those apps on my phone every time the dog begs for food so i can remind her who's in charge but i'm worried it's just going to put me to sleep and then she'll become the king of the apartment There's just, you know, there's just nothing to it. They don't evolve that. You know, it's always, it always feels like every time they use the briefcase, they use it in the same exact scenario. And I feel like if you're going to use that tool, then it needs to evolve throughout the film and not just remain the same exact sort of obstacle. You know, you know why I think that's the way that it is? Because that is the writer or whoever is punching up or the probably 8 million folks that, that stitched together this convoluted <laughs> screenplay. That is their, okay, so we got to stop the fight, but we don't want them to die. Give me something that'll stop the fight, but nobody dies. And that is just the plot device they just use for it every, every single time because that's basically, basically they just need to go to the next level. Like, but this is not a video game. So how do you get to the next level? Oh, well, we'll stop the fight or this one will go to sleep. It's just, it's ridiculous. And also Millie Bobby Brown, like I still didn't get this at the very beginning when like, they were like breaking out and Millie Bobby Brown like stood there and then like the monster didn't attack. Like, I still don't understand that. Like, it was some worse than the sun is getting real low 
from Age of Ultron BS. Like, is this child a monster whisperer too? Like, I feel like there's a whole nother thing that I didn't get. Maybe I wasn't paying attention because this was very early on. And that was the moment when I was like, oh, this is gonna be stupid. Well, that, that, that introduced the concept of this cool laptop that can tame wild giant beasts. Is it and she's trying to pet it? Like this is just a touch and feel zoo? Time. Now, for everyone enjoying the podcast, I'm not gonna recommend that you go out and pet a incredibly giant creature just because you had some sort of technological device that momentarily assaged it. But I will say that this is why I think Millie Bobby Brown was such good casting, Jacqueline, because I think this leads into another one of the scenes that you were highlighting is that she is just that you're not going to get me to believe in that storyline where she breaks out of her containment towards the end of this movie and she goes charging towards Eric's <laughs> nemesis stadium, Fenway Park, because we uh, got to get the signal out from uh, Fenway and get the uh, monsters here. And so she uses the laptop. And again, I'm not giving this credibility to just any child teen actor. I'm not saying a Fanning is going to be able to pull this off. I'm not saying a Breslin's going to be able to pull this off. Maybe a Kiersey Clemens could have done it. Maybe a Haley Steinfeld. But Millie Bobby Brown, because we've seen her in Stranger Things, I, I give her that credit of being a badass enough to where it's like, yeah, you're wild enough to break out of Monarch's holding cell. You're smart enough to get to that area to get these monsters. And she is basically clearly the daughter of Kyle Chandler and Vera Farmiga as far as her wits go and her belief system. And she's just like a better mom version of who Vera Farmiga is. And that pairs itself out by the end of the movie. And it's a beautiful, beautiful revelation. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Man, that was a long walk, but... And a child will lead them. Okay, so Eric, <laughs> Eric, I, you may have thought the fight scenes were too dark. Is there any redeeming fight scene in this movie? I know you. it, it must have gotten your juices flowing a little bit. That scene in Antarctica coming out of the ice. Yeah, for my, that scene has one of my favorite moments because as, uh, you know, Kyle Chandler, as his wife, you know, as the ex-wife is being dragged away with the daughter, he yells, that's my ex-wife and daughter. <laughs> And I'm like, we, you care about Jack's wife, man? Like, the, you know, it's just to hear a character go, that's my ex-wife, like with such gusto. I was like, that's I, I, that's good, man. You could use that in the- That in is the, so funny. Now I'm racking my brain. If like there was some, if there was some force that was taking Molly and her mom away from me, would I yell, that's my stepdaughter dog? And that's my 
ex, but we're still friends. Uh, yeah, it's a that, that's a dialogue conundrum for a writing staff. Oh yeah, but it was you know that that's the and that's kind of why I have that Die Hard two. This is the Die Hard two of Godzilla movies because I like I like God I like Die Hard two, but it's not as good as Die Hard one. It's got some fun moments, uh, like you know when they're wearing those like snow fatigues, which I saw in this film, which were reminded me of that moment in Die Hard two. <laughs> um, but it's it's just not as good, and it feels like it borrows some stuff from the original and tries to you know recycle it in this film uh, in order to kind of make you feel what you did in the original instead of doing its own kind of thing, you know, and, and I just feel like, you know, that scene uh, is cool because it's, you know, I've always wanted to see Ghidorah, especially with, with like modern special effects. I think, you know, the monster looks awesome in the movie. I will say that uh, it looks badass, but like, I just wish we would have gotten some, like, especially in that scene, you know, you have like, I think you have about, 35 of the 170 cast members in this in the main main cast <laughs> in that scene and um you know they they're everybody's shooting and there's every, there's the big ice and Ghidorah's in that ice and that's cool but i just feel like Ghidorah should have came out of there and then we should have saw, saw some really gnarly like pick up a guy rip him in half you know I, we got a couple of scenes where like there was a net that was spit out at somebody and I'm like that's cool but make it ooze more like I, I just wanted you're to you're really feel... about the ooze man I yeah, am. You, you must be a big Double Dare fan <laughs> I am I'm a fan you know because I watch a lot of midnight movies like I watch mm. a lot of midnight stuff and that's why I think it was really smart to get Adam Wingard to direct uh, this Godzilla vs. Kong movie because he's like a midnight movie genre director and I feel like you know even though uh, who directed this one was it Michael Doherty he has those roots too uh, Michael Doherty yeah. yeah but I I just felt like you you know with a monster movie it's not just about watching the monsters fight it's about getting all of that extra stuff that comes with like a monster. These are creatures, they bleed, whatever, green. You know, they like to eat things and eat people and rip them apart in extravagant ways. And like, that's just the kind of stuff I wanted to see more of. Uh, some of those like moments when you're at 1 a.m. in a movie theater and a character gets ripped apart by a monster and you're like, yeah! You know, that's I, fair. I, 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 I think that's a fair gripe with the film where we didn't get that like Jurassic Park the lawyer gets eaten moment but it's weird because in a movie that has such a large human death toll you're right we really don't see a lot of it we, we see a couple times some somebody gets eaten swallowed whole but that's really about it because I, I I think that this movie is like look we're doing two things here okay primarily we're having monsters fight a lot and then secondarily we are going to try our damnedest to make the audience care about at least one of these human characters and I think that they were successful if you don't buy into Kyle Chandler and Vera Farmiga still caring about each other Millie Bobby Brown saving the day I can give you that but anybody who watches this movie, I defy you to say you didn't get a little emotional about the scene where Ken Watanabe's character is saying goodbye to Godzilla, but also goodbye to the world, because we're about a little more than halfway through. Godzilla is not dead. We, we thought he was dead. Oh, God, we thought he was dead because we shot him to death. But no, he's just sleeping, and he happens to be taking a nap in what amounts to the lost city of Atlantis, which is such a cool sequence to see way 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 underground giving credence to the theory that maybe godzilla was so quick 
quickly able to get to different places on Earth because he had this little underground tunnel system, a la what Al Capone had built into his Chicago golf course. And so now Godzilla's taking a deep, deep, deep sleep down there, and he's recharging. But recharging Godzilla, he ain't an iPhone, kids. It takes sometimes centuries to get him a quality enough nap, that REM necessary sleep, to become Godzilla again. So we're like, well, we got to jumpstart this because the only way we're going to stop all these monsters from destroying Earth is to have Godzilla fight and beat them. So we got to throw a nuclear whatever. We got to throw the nuclear arsenal into Godzilla to jumpstart him because he can handle nukes better than humans. So we get to this point, we say, okay, well, look, there's no way that we can go down there without losing someone. And Ken Watanabe, (laughs) he just signs right up. He's like, I'll do it. I'll do it. Can I? Can, can I please go? Because his character, Sirizawa, he appreciates the ecosystem that is Earth, how we all have to live together. And sometimes living together means one of us has to sacrifice ourselves, in this case, him. But before he does it, he gets to go up and he actually gets to touch the giant lizard that we all want to meet that dominated Charles Barkley in those ads in the early 90s. And he just has this Marley and me moment with Godzilla that is so beautiful right before this nuclear explosion. And it did remind me of another movie that gets criticism, but we also love watching Armageddon. It was like the end of Armageddon where you know somebody's got to sacrifice themselves and Kenny stepped up to the plate and gave us an emotional core to this movie. Jacqueline Coley, any tears elicited from you during that scene? No. Oh, I thought I sold it well too. You sold it very well. Um, mm. th- that was a little bit late for that. Um, I think the movie is summed up best by me realizing the better things that it either stole from or the better people in this movie, the other greater things. So every time I see Ken Watanabe just sleepwalking his way through this, I just, I'm like, I just need to go watch one of his other movies. I need to go watch Stranger Things. I need to go watch The West Wing. I need to go watch the um, Amityville Horror series. Like I, I need to go watch the better versions of what anyone involved in this will do. Give me the first season of Friday Night Lights to cleanse my palate of seeing these folks be in this movie. And so even though he did have it and like he gave him the goods, I, I don't know how invested the director was in the human quotient of this movie. Um, He gave us little flashes of it, but he just, I think he was just all about his monsters because I don't care about these people. Um, And the line reads is what makes me think about it. It did not fit to me. And yeah, I I was, uh, I was just basically bored and sad for everyone involved. Eric, what was your read on that scene with, with, with Sirisawa's character and that emotional goodbye? Did that hit you anywhere? I think it was a cool scene, but the problem is, is that we just don't know his character enough because we're like, he maybe gets, I don't know, a minute and a half of screen time. And so, you know, it's a cool moment. It's a pivotal moment for the film, but because we had to spend time with the other 16 people in this cast, you know, Ken's character kind of gets lost to the side. And so when we get to that moment, I'm saying to myself, this is a cool thing. He's going to sacrifice himself in order to wake Godzilla up. Okay, that's a cool thing for him to do. But I'm, I'm not invested in his journey because uh, we, I've been, I've, I have to figure out who the other 15 people and what they're doing and what their arcs are and what their journeys are. You know, I mean, we had multiple characters in here that they could have combined. Bradley Whitford's character, Thomas Middleditch's character could have been the same character. Could have been that one comic relief for the whole film you know and i just feel like if they would have done a little bit more juggling 
of combining characters. You know, I mean, th that's not even to say the, the military guys, right? They, they were like some known people there too that had stories. Oh, and David Strathairn? Uh, Estratharan and also uh, Aisha Hines just popping up to be military people that get shot at. Like I'm O'Shea just... Jackson, yeah, yeah, O'Shea, O'Shea Jackson. Jackson. I'm like, why? That yeah. that does frustrate me because, to me, a director would say these people are too good not to give them something. Like like I even the, I remember when Ryan was talking about Martin in Black Panther, he needed to give them something, and I just feel like there was n given nobody nothing in this one. Yeah, the, it, it, too many humans in this movie for sure. And I, I like Eric's point that you, you could just take a lot of these characters and just mash them into one person, which is what filmmakers have even done with movies based in history, like like Patriots Day. It, like Mark Wahlberg is like an amalgamation of like nine different people who actually were at the Boston Marathon that year. And so maybe you could have done that with this movie, but I still stand by the fact that Ken saying goodbye to Godzilla is a strong part of this film. What's also cool about that, and our expert researcher Mark Hoffmeyer had some great notes about that. Y'all go back and watch just that scene if you want to, because if you want to get hype for Godzilla versus Kong, a lot of the paintings... And a lot of like the murals that you see underwater kind of hint as to how old these rivalries are. And it is. It, it's that Yankees Red Sox where it's like this thing has gone on forever and we're just going to keep getting these movies. And so it's just a little something to get excited about. We're going to move on to our behind the scenes industry sort of talk where we get into what maybe went into making this film and with this particular piece of cinema, I would say what's to come next Hit the music, maestro. All right, I just got to get this out there. Again, leaving this movie, the post credit scene teases that King Kong is somewhere out there and he's chilling and he's biding his time and he's lifting weights and he's in the gym. He's ready to go. I am so excited for Godzilla versus Kong. I cannot tell you why. And when anybody comes at me and they say, I don't know, Mark, Godzilla looks pretty big. Kong looks pretty tiny. I think Godzilla's going to win this one. I say one of two things. Thing number one is that they're probably going to fight for a little bit in the new movie. Then they're going to team up. They're going to fight someone else and I'll have to make my peace with that. But I'll also say this, is that Godzilla versus Kong, okay? Anytime you want to come at me with facts or stats as to why you think Godzilla is going to win, I become James Garner's character in The Notebook because I can have my family say, hey, look, Mark, it's not working, it's not going, and I'm just going to simply say, hey, you see that pointing at Kong? That's my sweetheart in there. I am full Team Kong going into this movie, and... That takes nothing away from Godzilla and the portrayal of Godzilla and the design choices that went into Godzilla because apparently some Godzilla purists were upset that the character looked a little beefy. Looked like he'd maybe put on some pounds. But Eric, I think it fits because he's been hibernating for a while. He's been, just been sleeping. He went to Wendy's and he went to Taco Bell fourth meal, been taking a nap and been doing a lot of sit-ups recently. Yeah. I guess. Oh, he looks a little beefy. He looks a little boxy. Why are like, we fat shaming a monster? Come on. I, Come I, on. I think Godzilla could have could have looked a little bit cooler than than he has in these movies, but but I, I'm down. I mean, I'm team I'm team King Kong too. I think I think a lot of people are team King Kong because King Kong gives you gives you something back, I think, a little bit as a monster. Like Godzilla's big, lights up, um, you know, roars, spits, spits you know, neon, nuclear, whatever out of his mouth. 
Uh, but King Kong gives you some like emotional investment. You see emotion in his face. Uh, he he's kind to certain humans, uh, and so there is like there is I think more investment that we naturally have in the Kong character because we feel closer to Kong. Kong, almost, even though Kong is gigantic, feels the closest thing to like a pet. You know, our dog will will kind of make a make a face and 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 sidle up to you. And King Kong is like that too. So. Uh, so yeah, I think I think it's really interesting to pit them against each other in a film, and um, and I'm curious to see. Uh, well, I know I know what happens, but I'm curious to see how audiences react to it. Jacqueline, you uh, you team Godzilla, you team King Kong here. Do you have a dog in this fight? I'm team Mothra. I'm sorry, no. Uh, there's some, I have some thoughts about King Kong, which we will get into later, but no, I am definitely not team King Kong. Uh, I Are we getting I, into them on this podcast? No, I, we'll get into them later. It's, it's okay. not, it's not the time to bust open that can quite yet, but if anybody <laughs> wants to, uh, investigate it, just Google what the, what the imagery of King Kong was originally designed for. And you might have the same problem I have with it. That is a very, say. very fair point. Um, but to bring it back to, to this right now, I actually really like Mothra. I think it's a cool animal. I like the way it moves. I like the way it fights. And so like, if you were saying like, which of these monsters do I would want like a little action figure of my own, that one. Um, I just like monsters fighting. I I just don't even like thinking of them as personalities or people anyway. I'm just like, just fight. Rock'em, sock'em monsters. Keep it simple. Um, and and that'll be a happy moment for me. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a simple girl in that respect. The other thing I also will say, since we're talking the behind the scenes moment, and Eric, you've been so good to tell your, your thoughts on this. I want to take everybody back real quick to May 10, 2019. And Eric Davis had his tweet about Godzilla King of the Monsters. Because I'm gonna give you the shout out of how carefully Eric Davis is able to say positive things about a movie he disliked. Godzilla King of the Monsters ups the monsters action considerably. The battle scenes are gorgeous and fierce and feel ripped from the pages of a gnarly graphic novel. You want a giant monster movie throwdown? This is it and then some. I can't wait for Kong versus Godzilla movie now. And I just want to put this out there because I love you, Eric, but you are the man that was able to be on a pull quote for Gemini Man with legit. Like Eric will twist himself at us. He will find some positive to say about your movie. And I'm not going to throw you out into shade, but Mike Ryan would be really upset with me if I didn't put an Eric Davis tweet out here in this conversation. Mike Ryan is a, a friend of ours. And every time we do our post-movie tweets, he's always going after Eric Davis because Eric can can do what he does. It's it's a Svengali trick, kids. That you was know, a magician weaving what Eric tweeted. It's I I you know with my tweets I I the way I feel about it is first you know and a lot of people come at me on Twitter because they're like you you just say good things about movies and to a certain degree I do because I talk about the films that I like. Um, because I, I want to put positivity out into the world. And if I hate a movie and me telling you that I hate it, what does that do than just put negativity out into the air? And sure. so if they, but if there's a movie that doesn't register with me, but that I, I'm not crazy about it, I will go and look for the good things that an audience might like. Because even yeah. if I don't like it, I know there's going to be a lot of people that will like it. And with this film, the audience, you know, it's over 80%. The audience does like it. And I know that yeah. this is going to be an audience movie. So that's what I tried to convey in that tweet is like, yeah, I had a lot of issues with the human characters and the plot and the storyline. But if you're there for this stuff, 
than the movie delivers. And I don't want to call you out in a bad way. I just, again, like, I knew that this was a movie where I was like, I know there's an Eric Davis tweet. I know there is. <laughs> and so I had to pull it up for a little bit of shade. But I love you, Eric. And look, man, th this is kind of what we talk about with Rotten Tomatoes, too. It's like, just because the score is bad does not mean in any way that I'm not saying that this movie doesn't have people that speak to it. And even me with that 17%, I know that there are people that will lay down the law for this movie, that will lay down and die for it. And to Mark's point, call it their sweetheart. <laughs> hey, at the end of the day, we're here to celebrate movies and we yeah. root for movies because nobody wants to sit through a crappy movie for two and a half hours. Yep. And so sometimes we can be guilty of championing the art of cinema, whether it's Eric tweeting it or it's me shilling solo at Denny's and trying to do it with a straight face. It's a, another long story that actually Christian, our engineer, knows a little bit about. So I want to bring in my special guest here because Christian Rubalcaba, not only is he great behind the scenes here, he also has his own show, The Wanger Podcast. You can watch him on camera. Christian, you love Godzilla, King of the Monsters. You're very excited for Godzilla versus Kong. I'm going to give you the floor to just gush whenever you're ready, sir. Hi, everyone. I'm on the uh, Godzilla mic. First of all, Mark, that Denny's reference is my favorite because, yes, I understood it and I feel I feel your pain. Thank uh, you. Let me just let me just read you my tweet after that movie. Hey, so Godzilla King of the Monsters is everything I ever wanted in a monster movie. Okay, bye. Um, I'm a, this was kind of painful to listen to. No, I'm just kidding. No, it was a lot of fun because I, I grew up a Godzilla fan. Um, I watched it as a kid. I used to watch them. And now with this new one coming out, I've been. Uh, Rewatching all the uh, all the old ones up until um, King of the Monsters, and um, the one thing that I kind of just learned about this movie is that um, it's 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 a fan movie. You know, Mike Doherty, he's such a huge fan of all these monster movies, and you see shades of like the Showa era, the Heisei era of of um, a lot of the older Godzilla movies, and that's what I think I appreciate the most about it. I understand. Uh, because yes, I I don't think it's a perfect movie, but um, there are small little shades of that that make it so much more eventful for me. Like the oxygen oxygen destroyer being in the movie, like that's kind of a like a things you know because it's from the original film. Uh, but still, it's tiny little details like that that are great. And the Sirizawa moment is like one of the most beautiful moments in any Godzilla movie because you contrast that to the original Godzilla movie where Sirizawa is the reason why Godzilla is killed. It's a nice little like hey. Remember that? This is this. And so it is also like uh, maybe a little fan servicey, but, uh, you know, it's a good time. And Mothra is probably my favorite in this movie than any Godzilla movie, for sure. Yeah, oh, Mothra, give it up. I, I, yeah. I, I, again, I know like that's not the title of the movie, but I'm about it. I, 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 I think that uh, Christian brings up a point that I'll just hit really quick before we move on and say goodnight here is that this movie, from the human aspect of it, I didn't get bored in those scenes because I felt like it was a credible debate. Maybe the dialogue wasn't the cleanest and it was a little clunky and some characters could have been turned into one person. But I think it's a debate worth having in a movie where there's giant monsters fighting for literally the right to rule Earth that do you keep them fighting? Do you kill them all? Did, should we kill them all? Is it our job to kill them all? They've been here first, all that stuff. I think it's, a, it's an interesting conversation to have, if nothing else. And one fun fact that I did learn behind the scenes here is that nobody on the film has confirmed this, but there's this ancient monster, maybe the first Titan that's, I, I think it's, it's Anguirus and legendary. 
the company that makes these movies does not have the rights to Anguirus for whatever reason, but there's a little shot right before Godzilla's Atlantis recharging station explodes from the nuke that you see a thing that a lot of people speculate could be Anguirus. And so the theory is that Kong and uh, Kong's ancestor took down Anguirus. And so maybe some of that, it, it, there's going to be a lot of ancient stuff factoring into this battle that we're about to witness with Godzilla versus Kong. So it's just, it's all very exciting stuff for me. Uh, last thoughts about anything you wanted to hit behind the scenes before we close up shop here and get some delicious Godzilla trivia. Eric, start with you. Yeah, you know, we, you brought up before about we didn't see a lot of deaths in this film. And, I, and it's interesting because I always look to see when a film came out and what people were talking about at that time. And I felt like um, after, I want to say, Avengers Age of Ultron, or there were one of those movies where like they just destroyed a city. Uh, and a lot of people had a problem with that. You know, that a lot of people had a problem with the human toll and not recognizing that in these in these big superhero movies, in these monster movies. It's one of the reasons why I think Batman versus Superman, the finale of that is in like some rundown like area where there's no human beings because I think a lot of people, it was Man of Steel. A lot of people gave Man of Steel, the end of that movie, some, some flack for, for all of the human toll and not recognizing that. And so I think... When you get into this movie, you know, all of these films are sort of in that same era. Uh, I think that that was likely a concern behind the scenes that we don't want to show too much destruction of where people specifically are uh, or a lot of human deaths because we don't want that angle to sort of um, to live on with this film. And so, you know, when I look at films from this era, I, I think about that a lot because I think it did factor in. Um, Luckily, that does not factor in uh, to Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, but uh, I do. I, I think like when we th I think about behind the scenes things and and that conversation before about about seeing cool gnarly kills. Um, I think that that was likely a factor. Yeah, it's interesting how both of those franchises you referenced kind of course corrected from Godzilla having all that destruction in San Francisco and and other places, Vegas to name a few. And then also Man of Steel. And so the next movie kind of took a death from that or it took the, the destruction of a building or whatever and kind of made it into a storyline to say, hey, see, that's why we killed all those people, because we needed this emotional core here. But don't worry, kids, all the fights in the future are going to either happen in the ocean or in Antarctica or maybe one day on Skull Island. Yeah. And I mean, you look I mean, and if you look at just what Marvel and DC are doing right now, like especially Marvel, grief is playing a big role in their storylines. And I think because they are trying to now kind of come back to like what is the human toll on these adventures and and how do we react to that and what does that do to us and what kind of regrets and do we live with these regrets and i, I think that we're going to see some of these bigger movies down the line start to toy with that with those with those ideas and and that's something that we never really saw from blockbuster movie making uh before this and so uh it's a, we're entering a really interesting era i think when it comes to big big stories big storytelling um and the way that those stories are being told Eric, uh, I have a question. Go ahead, Lucy. Thank you, Mark. So this is producer Lucy. So knowing that you've seen Godzilla versus Kong. Careful. No spoilers. But would you argue like you can't have that this new movie without having Godzilla King of the Monsters? Even if rotten, like you kind of needed all the setup in this film. Like, is that kind of how is it connected at all? Did they play I, off the same yeah, kind of Yeah, I mean, it is connected. It, there's definitely, you know, Kyle Chandler and Millie Bobby Brown. They're really- Is it necessary, though? Is it necessary? I don't, 
I don't necessarily maybe think it's necessary. There is some interesting things with the hollowed earth that uh, are sort of beginning to explore in this film that I think um, carry over to Godzilla versus Kong. And so I think if you were somebody who was like digging that concept and Mark, I know you were because you mentioned it during this conversation, then I think it, you're going to be kind of really really happy with with where Godzilla versus Kong is and I'm not going to say who who the winner between those two is but I will say that the winner is the audience uh, with Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, That's a, a great button to put on. I feel like these two cops named Jacqueline and Lucy started interrogating my clients <laughs> without me being in the room. So Eric, I just want to let you know you can take the fifth when people ask you questions about Godzilla versus Kong. Sorry. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> I, I like to, I, I just jumped on Lucy's interrogation. I'm like, where's the truth? I just wanted some Oprah, where's the truth moment right there. Um, for my just final thoughts on it, I will say this. I know I was very harsh on this movie. However, I want to give this movie a little bit of a pass in certain respects. Both Mark and Eric, I think, saw it first on the big screen. I do know having watched this movie that it lost a lot because I did not see it there first. Uh, also, and looking at how they shot this and knowing how big the folks are involved, I think the reason why you have so many scenes of people just talking in rooms has more to do with the availability of the actors. I think there's probably behind the scenes story about not having enough time with Millie Bobby Brown, not having enough time with these other folks because they all are doing like a whole bunch of stuff. And the final thing I will say with this film is I did press play on this film after a full day of talking about Oscars that started at 3 a.m. in the morning and I turned this on at 6 p.m. at night. And I don't think even the best of movies is gonna get the shake that it deserves if that's the first time you're pressing play uh, on it. So I will give the movie those very big three things that say, had circumstances been different, there might've been a better movie that I didn't dislike so vehemently, but that's not the case. That's hilarious. Jacqueline lives the most heightened version of what my old Schmoes No review days used to be, where you kind of try to see everything. And so in the summer, by the end of August, you're so tired of big blockbusters and just watching people fight or monsters fight. And you're so excited to get to this classy Oscar fair. But then when April rolls around, you're like, all right, enough with the period pieces and enough with the speeches. Just give me monsters fighting, which is how... I feel right about now. It is time for our email corner, and we have the mailbag has its own catchy jingle, and I'm excited to see if Lucy added a verse to this. Let's find out. I just always imagine like Dom Delery's running around like trying to find his pants with like a pie in his face when I hear that music and it brings me great joy to think of that image. Okay, so this email is from Raj Tippy Reddy and Lucy's going to chime in here because there's a bunch of film suggestions that we got from this great fan of ours. And Raj says, hello, RT is wrong team. Hope you and your families are staying safe and healthy. In an alternate life, I would have been a film television critic for a living, so I, of course, love the podcast, especially the Harry Potter and Indiana Jones 4 episodes. And in the spirit of great fantasy adventure franchises, I would love to hear an episode on M. Night Shyamalan's tragic comedy 2010 classic, The Last Airbender. Whew. That was me adding the phew. I confess that my suggestion may be in bad faith, because in this case, I don't exactly think that RT is wrong. 
but I'm still dumbfounded that this film received even a 5% on the tomato meter. I'll also never give up an opportunity to rightfully criticize a terrible film, especially one based on my single favorite childhood IP, while also taking the chance to celebrate the Airbender animated series and to a lesser extent, Korra, especially given its recent rejuvenation on Netflix. And now Lucy gets to pick up the rest of it because my document cut off. Raj is crushing it so far. Oh, here. And so then he says, um, a Netflix upcoming. Okay. He says, P.S. I also greatly enjoyed Dog Stepfather. So please dot, 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 dot. We're... Okay, hold on. Ah, no, you can just leave it at that. He he liked my special, so Raj. He, you're oh, and he said me. he likes the way that um, you, you, like you have plugs at the end. Um, he said your plugs are working. Oh, <laughs> he said your good. hair plugs. Okay, are well, working. Uh, Jacqueline's <laughs> now apparently helping me with my gig, so this is all good news for Mark today. I have um, one thing. I have one thing since we're in the fan corner. Um, yeah. Again, I I just am always dumbfounded when we record these. I just think it's me and Mark BSing with a special guest. I forget that there are folks out there listening, probably to, to just sort of assuage my neuroses because I'm quite an anxious individual. But I I want something. I need. We need a word for people that have come on the podcast. So like on this other podcasts, like on one that I listen to, they say friend of the pod. There's a, a radio station in Dallas that I was a huge fan of called the Ticket, and anytime any anyone had been on the ticket they would say the tickets own like like that means that like they own it or like we're part of that part of that community i need the fans to give us a good name for folks that have come on the podcast so that way we can reference them if we speak about them later so like I'm, I'm i'm liking like what's the name for people that have come on here or people that are watching it rongos i don't know y'all y'all are way more lucy do you have a suggestion i think we should call them the guestest with the bestest the guest is the bestest. Eric, how do you want to be referred to? When, when, when people see you on the street from now on, and they will, they'll say, hey, that's Eric Davis. He's a blank from Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. Yeah, I, I don't know. Something with tomatoes. I just don't yeah. want to be the splat. Yeah. <laughs> Not I think splats. something with tomatoes. Yeah. I, I, I actually love splat. <laughs> <laughs> He's a, a, a Tom from the pod. He's a Tom a, from the pod. Maybe you... I, I just want to thank Eric for being a great freshie here today and his opinions, although I disagreed with some of them did not go splat. And as we close out the show here, I, I can't help but give you all a little bit of more recent Godzilla trivia, because as you can probably tell, I'm a huge fan of these movies. I I'm not steeped in the lore the way that Christian Rubel and probably a lot of our listeners are as far as the, the back history of Godzilla. I've seen a lot of the movies, but focusing on this time period in this franchise, it started with, uh, Gareth Edwards Godzilla in 2014. Here's the trivia question. So we've had three of these movies now that every one of us has seen. Okay. You got Godzilla, you got Kong Skull Island, and you have Godzilla King of the Monsters. Each one of them features a marquee headliner that's either Godzilla or King Kong. Which film features the least amount of screen time for said marquee monster? The 14 one. King okay, Kong Jacqueline versus with the 2014. Kong Skull Island. Um, Lucy hmm. saying Kong Skull Island. Eric, I I'm going to go with of screens. Yeah, I mean that 2014 movie is is known because it's like the jaws of this of this franchise because you don't you don't see the monster. 
Um, you know, but then you see the monster at the end for a good chunk of it. Uh, and I mean, Kong is all about the monster, but there's a lot of that film where they're sort of fighting other things on Skull Island. So, you know, and then Godzilla, King of the Monsters, you would think is, is you know, this because there's all kinds of monsters in there, but how much Godzilla are you actually seeing in that film? So I think I would probably go with... Um, I'm, you know what? I'm Jacqueline with, with, with the original Godzilla. I'm going to go with Kong Skull Island just so we have different answers. All right. Well, Kong dominated Godzilla like he's about to in theaters and streaming in a couple of weeks. King Kong has 14 minutes, 30 seconds of screen time in Kong Skull Island. And a lot of that is him taking a bath, which is for some reason is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. In Godzilla 2014 versus Godzilla King of the Monsters, it's very competitive, and it comes down to 24 seconds. Godzilla had 24 more seconds of screen time in King of the Monsters than he did in Godzilla 2014. So Jacqueline wins, but I'm going to give a little bit of credit to anybody who said Godzilla King of the Monsters because Godzilla has 7.7% of the runtime in Godzilla 2014. Only 7.5% of runtime in Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I did not come up with any of this. This is why we pay Mark Hoffmeyer, our expert researcher, the big butts, to stop. Did I just say we pay him in big butts? I did. I was just okay. about to say, because they well, cannot lie. I you hope other brothers Mr. Hoffmeyer enjoys <laughs> that Sir Mix-a-Lot reference. It, we're talking about the biggest titans on Earth, and I can't slip up once and say big butts. They all have giant posteriors. They are yeah. all juicy individuals. This is fair. This is fair. I don't blame you for that moment. Also, I want to say for folks that have the name, if you have the name, please, please email us at rtiswrong at Rotten Tomatoes. Again, also, or recommend more movies for us. We love to hear from you guys, so don't forget to do that. Yes, be just like our new best friend, Raj. Eric, you were great. Thank you so much for coming on. If y'all are just listening to the podcast, you're really missing out because Eric is not only a feast for the eyes, it's also proof that he is not Edward Burns, that, it, that there's two different people in the world that both have that awesome, awesome accent. So what's new, bud? What, what, what are you working on? What's going on in, in your life? Where can all the kids find you? These days, just go find me on Twitter, at Eric Davis, uh, Eric with a K, because uh, everything that, you know, I do and I talk about is going to be over there. Uh, you know, we're right on the cusp of uh, summer movie season. Are we are we getting one? It, it's kind of looking like that. It's kind of looking like we're turning the corner and uh, big movies are, are on the way again, beginning with uh, Godzilla Kong and Mortal Kombat and Black Widow and Top Gun Maverick and uh, and Quiet Place 2 and all that stuff. So I'm just looking forward to, um, you know, the rest of the year and watching big movies again and uh, hopefully get vaccinated and, and watching them safely in movie theaters uh, because I miss it. And so that is what I'm up to now. And if you want to know my tweet reaction uh, as featured on this show, <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, for all of my reactions. I just, I miss that movie theater popcorn so much. And uh, Christian and I, without being too specific, we, we might've put some things in motion shall we say, to secure the fact that Godzilla versus Kong is going to be viewed by us in the best possible light. So, Jacqueline Coley, I'm curious as to what Eric says is maybe a good movie or TV recommendation we can check out right now. Eric, is there anything that like kind of is going to give us that warm up for the summer movie season? 
Um, I, this movie, Godzilla versus Kong. I mean, there's, you know, I would say that and, and this Mortal Kombat movie that's coming out too, uh, Ooh, for yeah. sure, you know, because they're both, you know, they're both going to be aggressive. One's going to be a big monster movie. One's going to be a big fight movie. Uh, and so definitely, you know, these are the two kinds of movies that you want to see that are going to get you ready for that summer blockbuster season. Uh, without a doubt, Godzilla versus Kong. Um, I'm a big fan of that film. And so I would highly recommend uh, watching that uh, if you can on the biggest screen you possibly can. I, that Mortal Kombat trailer blew me away and I'm not the only one. So Still haven't seen the Mortal Kombat trailer. Sorry, it's award season. But can I add one? I don't normally get a recommendation, but I really want to add one. This is a good one. I think that you were very cordial in your hatred of my movie today. So yes, you may have a movie. <laughs> I just want everyone to know about this because it is like this, I feel a secret little thing because people haven't caught on to it yet, but The Lost Pirate Kingdom is on Netflix. It's a show that is basically a true crime show, historical true crime show, and that Vikings TV show that everybody loved mixed together. And it is so great. So it's like history nerds talking about these real life pirates and then they do reenactments of the crazy, sexy, like shooting people with guns, stealing people's money, robbing the Spanish Armada. And it's awesome. I, I just want everybody to see it. You're doing this at the very end of the show because I tried to put that thing on last night. And Jacqueline, I felt like it would I felt like I was at a community theater watching the staging of, hey kids, look, pirates are and, and and I didn't get through three minutes of it. I wanted to see like a cool documentary about pirates. I turned off after three minutes. If you're telling me I need to go back and watch it, I you trust do. you, I love you. You need I to will. know what you're getting though. I didn't know what I was getting, and so I had no expectations, but it was with Age of Samurai, which is similar for samurais i don't know i liked it if you like pirates and vikings or if you like pirates um or that show vikings or true crime i think you can be at home or the history history nerd true crime stuff i, I, I like pirates i felt like i was back at bush gardens they had this 3d pirate adventure starring leslie nielsen and i was just like what exactly are we doing here but i know what we're doing here and we're unfortunately saying goodbye but it's just for a week folks we'll be right back here same bat time, same bat station next week. You can email us anytime. RT is wrong at rottentomatoes.com. Subscribe, rate, review, do all that stuff. Y'all are such fervent fans, and we love your ears and your eyeballs. And if you take any one of your favorite fingers or toes and click something that gets us a little bit further up there in the ranks, it makes everyone better. And Jacqueline, there's a reason why I said next week, same bat time, same bat station. What's the... Uh, it's the movie we're talking about. Yeah, the man with the laugh. We're uh, we're breaking down the Oscar-winning movie, <laughs> The Joker. I always want to put that out there. It's the Oscar-winning movie, The Joker. Well, Suicide Squad took a couple Oscars too. So, Joker <laughs> is not played by Jared Leto. It's the Joaquin Phoenix Joker, and we're going to be talking all about the prodigal son of Rupert Pupkin. So, for Jacqueline Coley, for Eric Davis. Producey Lucy, Godzilla superfan Christian Ruvalcaba, and everyone out there listening and watching, I am merely Mark Ellis. Austin, I'll see you soon, but Joker, I will see you sooner. Until next time, go King Kong! Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, 
They'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.